You're listening to the Plane Talking UK podcast, the UK-based podcast written by a passenger for anyone. And here are your hosts, Carl Stebbings and Matt Smith. Welcome everyone then, and me and Matt are back for episode number 85 of the Plane Talking UK podcast. I'm Carl Stebbings, and uh, obviously with me, because he's here every week, <laughs> is my co-host Matt. Hello, hello, how is everyone? Uh, we is all fine. We is all, we we is is all right. Is all right. Uh, what time is the wife due home? Not yet, not for a while. No, the, okay, the wife right. might appear in about another hour or two. Okay, she's right, going yes. shopping after work. Is so, she? Uh, yeah, mm. so I've given her a Got her well trained, haven't you? I know, I know. Well, I do the ironing, so <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> I don't know what to do with that information. Oh my god! <laughs> Cry, I think. Oh anyway. <laughs> so we 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 are here. We are, we are. live. Yes. It uh, is eight minutes past six on Friday, November the sixth, mm-hmm. and uh, it's uh, well, it's, it's fireworks. It's fireworks. Yes, firework <laughs> night, November the fifth, indeed, which is causing Ish. great delight for the for the wonder that that is the lovely poppy cat. She's not really no. enjoying it. Is. Well, it's November the 6th day, but technically everyone will be having fireworks this evening, I expect. Well, I reckon tomorrow, actually. I think Saturday will be a big day. Oh, we've uh, well, just going to the chat room. Uh, we're going to welcome everyone in the chat room. So, uh, hello to uh, Pilot Pip, who's in the chat room. Ah, the legend uh, that is. Masha Gertz, hello to you, Masha, yes. in the chat room. We've got uh, Matty Fabs in the chat room. Uh, we have got uh, Ray Williams in the chat room. And we have got oh, Big Ron in the chat room, Indeed. and Philip Davis in the chat room, and joining us just m- a moment ago is uh, Fattus Bloke. Mm, I wonder who that is. I wonder who that is, Fattus Bloke. Please, please identify who you identify are. Identify yourself. We have not Indeed. seen you in the chat room before. Oh, this is very exciting. New victims. <laughs> yes, Fattus Bloke. Indeed. Who are you? I don't know. It's it's not me that I, that no. I do know. I, I whilst I do fit that category, it is not me. No, it's not me either. <laughs> so we've got uh, we've got loads of news this week. It's been a really really busy week this week with aviation. Mm. Um, it, it's not been a great week. No, it aviation. hasn't for many many um, reasons. But I dare say we shall cover most of that. Uh, oh, forthcoming. Uh, we have another new new uh, ah. f- uh, chat room person, uh, Glenn, Glenn Towler. Towler. Glenn From Towler, New Zealand, Wellington. Wellington, Wellington New is Zealand. an amazing. Uh, Wellington is one of my most favourite places in the whole. A wide world. I, I just want to go to New Zealand. North Island. North Island is the way forward. Forget the South Island. Forget the South Island. North Island is the way to go. <clears throat> oh, <laughs> fat US. Bro. Matty Fab. <laughs> Matty Fab's upsetting the listeners already. Oh, here we go. <laughs> we won't read that one out, hey. <laughs> oh, dear. What are you like? <laughs> anyway, Pilot Pips put it as well. Pilot Pips is terrible. So, um, anyway, talking about Pilot Pip, we do have a segment from Pip this week. And uh, we also have some uh, listener feedback, some voice feedback yes. um, from someone who's in the chat room this week again. Yeah. Um, only one lot of listener feedback so far. We need some more. Mm. Send Hello, us some Glenn. more. Glenn's joined us as well. It's all getting very busy. Oh, I know, yes. I know, I know Glenn. Yeah. Well, I wonder what the time is in New Zealand. It must I don't be know. Really, what is the time is in it, New Zealand, Glenn? Is it really late or really early? Because here it's um, ten past six in the evening. Evening, here. evening. Yes, it's gone in, dark uh, already. New Zealand, yeah. Mm. Indeed. Anyway. Yeah, we need to kick off. So we, yes. we are going to start uh, the uh, show. I'm just, the chat room's going mad. It is. I'm just, we're going to start the show as we do multi-pa. each week. Mm, I'm uh, a bit scared. With our rundown <laughs> of the weekly news from around the world and yes. the UK. So if we're all ready. I don't know anymore. Let's go. <laughs>
So, kicking off this week's first news story then on uh, Sky News' website. Obviously, we've been following the story all week of the uh, Russian Airbus A321 uh, that uh, mm. was sadly brought down from the sky um, mm. last week. And uh, the latest reports uh, from Sky News um, that uh, new evidence which has emerged, um, which has been picked up by, um, well, the various news feeds around the Indeed. world is that um, intelligence or British intelligence um, have evidence that the Russian jet was brought down by a bomb on board, mm. killing all 224 people. Now, this is literally hot off the presses, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. This one, uh, I think this one went live about an hour ago. Mm. Uh, Matty Fab also um, uh, sent us uh, a little bit about this as well. Mm. Uh, so UK intelligence found evidence of the plot in intercepts picked up as part of a review of material carried out uh, in the wake of the 31st of uh, October disaster, Sky News understands. The discovery by GCHQ prompted Britain to dispatch experts to Sharm el-Sheikh to review security at the airport, leading to the suspension of flights to and from the resort. Sky uh, Foreign Affairs editor Sam Keeley said, following the downing of the aircraft, British intelligence went back over existing material and began to see some kind of signal that indicated a bomb had been placed on that aircraft. The discovery has created a diplomatic row with Egypt and Russia who want to see the intelligence having previously played down by Islamic State claims of responsibility for bringing down the, the Russian jet. Uh, Keeley said the interesting thing is that the intelligence was missed in the first place, which will anger the Russians in particular. Mm. Um, I mean, we've like I said, we've, um, we did so, I think we said last week in, in the show, you know, if, if they do determine that obviously they have that this mm. is brought down by a, um, a bomb on board yeah. you know the russians are not going to be very happy no i, I mean it, it's an unstable area at the best of times isn't it and uh, this this is only going to add literally petrol to the bonfire isn't mm. it mm. so uh people that are in sharm el sheikh uh, various uh, holiday makers have been repatriated today uh been flying back on special flights Fireworks. fireworks. Yes. I what that was then. <laughs> uh, by f by uh, special flights that have been laid on um, from uh, by EasyJet and Thompson as well. And um, Thompson have said that they'll operate uh, flights under special security measures, which will mean only hand luggage will be allowed to be carried on board. There will mm. be no hold luggage on these aircraft coming back from Sharm El Sheikh. Um, a lot of these holiday makers are flying back into Manchester Airport, and um, well, it's uh, it's a it's a funny state of affairs, really, man. It is, and, and 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 certainly from the news that I watched at lunchtime. Correct me if I'm wrong, obviously, because I haven't had a chance to catch any news uh, since lunchtime. But um, um, apparently, it is. It was only um, a handful of EasyJet flights that were allowed to leave. Uh, Thompson, uh, Thompson, and uh, Monarch Air Airway uh, flights weren't weren't allowed to leave, which is very very strange. So I don't know quite why. Mm. Um, I think they'd limited it to a maximum of nine flights, and those were the only amount of flights allowed to leave for UK airspace. Um, which is uh, again, I don't really know. Um, don't really know what's occurring there, to be honest. Something ain't right, is it? No, a spokesperson said EasyJet remains in close contact with the UK government and the safety and security of passengers and crew are their highest priority. EasyJet flights to Sharm el-Sheikh will not operate up until and including the 12th of November. 
Uh, they advise any passengers due to travel from Egypt with EasyJet after the 12th of November to check on Flight Tracker for the most up-to-date information on EasyJet.com. Mm. Any passenger who is booked to travel in the next 14 days and no longer wishes to travel can receive a refund or change their date or destination. Uh, just just, uh, just uh, going uh, with the ch- chat rooms, going, going a bit nuts here at the moment. Uh, but one of the things, Philip Davis just said, actually, EasyJet sent eight planes, but only two were allowed to land. Oh, wow. That's a bit strange, that isn't is. it? I know I read online last night, Matt, that um, the Royal Air Force had uh, put on, on standby mm. two C-17 Globemasters, right. the big military transport planes, to fly okay. into Do you think uh, that's maybe Sharm, to try and get some of the, um, the luggage to get back? Some people, or to get some people out. Right. Um, but it did say that these aircraft were only going to be picking them up and taking them to Cyprus to yeah. then fly them uh, back to Gosh. the UK. Mm. Well, I think it's safe to say it's an emerging picture. It's changing all the time. If we get any further updates during the show, obviously, we will update you. Obviously, it's being recorded, as you know, on Friday the 6th of uh, November. um, And this will actually be released on Sunday. But, uh, yes, hopefully we've uh, covered as much of it as we can. Um, but uh, yeah, as I say, it's, a, it's a, an emerging picture. Mm. Just going back to the uh, chat room very, very quickly. Yeah. Uh, I'm just going to say hello to Tyler. Hello, Tyler. Tyler is uh, somebody who had the misfortune of travelling with me today on his way home. So, really? Yes. Oh, okay. Yes, yes. On his on his little school run, bless him. So, uh, hello, he, Tyler. He's not watching this. He's not. He listening is actually he's watching listening it. to us. Well, we were talking right. about it on 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 our transport home. Uh, it really? Has to be said, yes. You you, you told them like your uh, famous. Uh, no, I famous didn't tell wife. them. I, I didn't tell them I was famous. <laughs> I can assure you of that. Oh, okay. But several of them are quite interested in in how how you put together a, a, a YouTube um, video okay. feed and all that kind of thing. So I was talking to them about it. anyway. Uh, enough of my drivel. Uh, it is time uh, <laughs> to go to the next story. And this is on the Sunday Business Post. Oh, look, it's a Ryanair story. It is a Ryanair story. Thanks very much for that. I thought I got away with it when and then I realised you, you'd sort of, you know, backspace two stories for yourself. But anyway, uh, the headline, as I said, this is on the Sunday Business Post. And the headline is O'Leary, 450 million euros richer since Ryanair began the charm offensive. Well, that's hardly a surprise. Uh, the share price doubles uh, as the airline loses surly attitude. For Ryanair boss Michael O'Leary being nice has had its rewards. The Mullinger billionaire... That's a mouthful, isn't it? The it Mullinger, is. <laughs> the Mullinger billionaire, who in the past has derided passengers as stupid and environmentalists, as lying... I can't use that word, uh, but it, gives, it begins with a W, uh, have become almost 450 million euros richer since the bad-humoured airline embarked on a charm offensive last year. O'Leary, 54, has a... 3.8% stake. Is that all he's got? 3.8% stake in Ryanair, which closed at a record high of 14.66 euros yesterday, rising 5% since the beginning of the week. His 1.2 billion euro fortune has risen 26% in 2015, according to the Bloomberg Billionaires Index. Every time you're flying Ryanair, you're adding to my share price, you're adding to my profitability, profitability, the billionaire told the Institute of Directors in Dublin in September. I need to keep being wealthy. Oh, do you? Well, that's good news. Uh, (laughs) Because if I'm to support one of Ireland's biggest loss-making cattle breeding operations and Ireland's biggest loss-making national stud horse operation, I need everyone in this room to fly Ryanair. 
I didn't realise those extracurricular activities. Well, Mother is. Mother is there as we speak. She used it. Ryanair, she's in Ireland at the moment. She landed in Derry on Tuesday. She's in Ireland. Picking her up tomorrow. Oh, good. Yes, yes. The budget airline's share price has more than doubled since January 2014 when it began a concerted effort to improve customer service by giving passengers the ability to choose seats and building a new, more user-friendly website. O'Leary has even recently offered to feed connecting traffic to long-haul rivals. Yeah, we we covered that story, didn't we? We did indeed, Yeah. yeah. Ryanair has grown from a fleet of one in 1985 can you imagine the days when Ryanair had one plane uh, into Europe's biggest discount carrier? The company aims to carry 105 million people in the fiscal year ending in March. O'Leary's media stunts helped passenger numbers grow while uh, watching EasyJet's successful business-orientated brand makeover. The airline hired a marketing guru, instructed its staff to be more courteous and began dropping practices uh, uh, customers hated, such as baggage charges and random seating. Uh, they called it the always getting better plan, and, it's sin- and since its adoption, Ryanair's monthly passenger loads have steadily risen, hovering above 90% since the start of its fiscal year in April. In September, it raised its full year profit target to 25%. Big numbers. Well, we always know that Ryanair were going to we're going to be making pots of money. Indeed, I mean, yes. your, your mother's mother's just added to that money. Uh, well, indeed, absolutely. Yeah, mother Mother Smith has added yes, to that yes, money. Yes, she has. Yes, but uh, as, as as we've said before, it's the the quickest and most cheapest efficient way of visiting family in Ireland, which is and we'll probably is, use them again next year. Absolutely for Malta, I imagine. Uh, so moving on, next story uh, yes. on the BBC News website mm. and uh, China has unveiled uh, a new passenger jet, the C-919. So China's first large passenger aircraft to be made in the country was rolled out of the final assembly line in Shanghai on Monday. The C-919 aircraft was developed by Commercial Aircraft Corporation of China Limited. It's expected to make its maiden flight in 2016 and begins test flights for three, uh, three years before commercial use. Um, there's not a huge amount on uh, on the story for this, but uh, there is a picture there. Mm, yes, and, okay. Uh, Matt could probably uh, whiz that on the screen yes, so the guys so. in the chat room yep. can uh, see there you go. what that's all about. Ooh, what's that? So it's kind of like a, 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 it's a, sort of a small regional jet, I think mm. you'd, you'd class that as. Just hit the play button, let's see what that does. Oh, let's have a look here, let's see what plays here. But there is no commentary apparently, so... Mm. Yeah, it's not really. Uh, no, not really a lot going on there, is there? No. So the uh, the Comac C nine one nine then is a narrow-bodied twin-engine jet airliner, mm. yes. uh, manufactured by a company called Comac, and uh, it's in ground testing status. There's one currently in uh, which has been built to uh, to fly, which is obviously mm. a test aircraft. Um, they're um, gonna sort of kind of. Um, plant this as a kind of, uh, a, a, like I say, a short-haul uh, aircraft. Uh, but it's going to have a, a capacity of 156 passengers, which kind of brings it into the Airbus A320-737 yeah, that, kind sort of, of area. Uh, yeah. area. Mm. Um, but they are, they are going to be able to make this a maximum density of 174 passengers with Gosh. the uh, with the high-density version. Um but uh, yeah, it's it's uh, it's power, actually powered by CFM International Leap One C engines, mm. 
um, which is uh, one of the type of engines that uh, does actually power the uh, the, the Airbus and the uh, 737 mm. as well. So yeah, some some good news then. Yeah, some more uh, more yeah, jets yeah. being produced. Good. Yes, and now before we, we move on to the next uh, story, I'm I'm just going to do this because this is on the CrawleyNews.co.uk, and I'm just going to bring this up, and that you'll you'll see why I've done this because it's nice to see that somebody is wearing a poppy. Uh, albeit on a website now uh, friends of mine on Facebook will know that um, I was in London yesterday and um, I'm not going to lie I was I finished my lunch and I was actually standing outside Stratford station which is not the international one but the one sort of near the 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 Queen Elizabeth Park and I stood there um, for about sort of I think it was about 10 minutes and in that between five ten minutes something like that and I counted something in the region of about 350 people that went past me. And I, I really was bored. I had nothing else to do. And uh, <laughs> what was very, very disturbing for me, to be honest with you, in, in that, amongst that 350-odd people, I only counted eight people wearing a poppy. That's pretty bad. That's really yeah. bad. Four of which were police officers who walked past me. Well, I can... We can honestly say here that if we go to the wide shot here yep. of this studio... Uh, I'll Matt's, do it in a minute, yes. There we go. <laughs> there we that, go. Uh, that me and Matt both yep. have... Yeah, poppy, we've got the little poppy, poppy wrist brands, yeah, and absolutely. also Matt has got a got poppy my, um, yeah, pin badge. See, yeah, absolutely. So uh, you know, I, just, I I I was really surprised given given how popular the uh, you know it's, it's the the, the effect that they had at um, the uh, the tower last year, didn't they? When yeah. they had the the sea yeah. of poppies coming out of the building and, and and all that kind of thing. Given how much interest there was in that, I I, I, I I'm sorry I'm mentioning it now really, but I really was quite shocked. Mm. At, um, have, anyway, that, that, I'll jump off my soapbox now and uh, back on the task at hand. So, as I say, you can see why I was sort of mentioning it because uh, actually, so far, it's the only website we've seen with a with, poppy with, a, with yeah. a poppy on it. But anyway, so that is the CrawleyNews.co.uk and the headline uh, going back to budget carriers. And this is EasyJet reveals it will run twenty six thousand Gatwick Airport flights next summer. That's a That's huge a lot of number, flights. isn't it? Absolutely, yes. So budget airline EasyJet has announced its summer 2016 schedule with more than 26,000 flights to and from Gatwick Airport. Between June 27 and the 4th of September next year, Gatwick's busy biggest airline will be flying to holiday destinations such as uh, Santorini, uh, Split, Paphos, Menorca and Sardinia. Neil Slaven, who is EasyJet's commercial manager, said, we offer more destinations from Gatwick than any other airport and we remain committed in expanding our network from the airport. The airline plans to continue to grow at Gatwick by replacing 156-seat A319 planes, which is what you and I usually fly on when we go anywhere um to 100 to 180 seat uh a320s from 2017 that's good news it is very good news especially for the retailers in gatwick as well as the um the ground handlers Mm. are going to have plenty of work actually i must say i meant to mention when we were talking about the uh the the charm um Mm. story because you and i my my best friend oh yeah yeah and we're all a little bit worried because he yeah, is we are slightly worried in the yeah, studio here because he yeah. is supposed to be well the, the original plan was that he was going to be flying out there tomorrow uh, on sunday sorry so uh, uh the question remains as to whether he will still be flying but um who knows yeah, I did try and tell him not to fly there this mm. week, but... Uh, yes, we've all done it. We've but, all done uh, it. There we are. He is from up north. The rules are different there. <laughs> <laughs> so moving on, next story on the Indeed. Travel Weekly site. Mm. And Wow Air. Wow! Wow Air. <laughs> uh, 
like a whole whole sort of. Uh, we should do wow. that. Wow. There we go. Is that I'm going to take that desk away from I you. Know, sorry. I'm going to confiscate it. So, Wow Air <laughs> announces ultra low cost flights to the Western US. Mm. Icelandic budget carrier Wow Air plans flights. Wow Air. <laughs> Hold on. Wow Air. It's, uh, it plans We're not supposed to enjoy ourselves, know, are we? we? Yes. Oh, we know. This is supposed to be serious. <laughs> so they're planning flights to Los Angeles and San Francisco next summer. Uh, four flights a week to LA are scheduled and five to San Francisco. The uh, three new 340-seat uh, or 340-seat wide-bodied Airbus A330-300 will be used uh, for the new service to the US from uh, the west coast from Reykjavik. Uh, ticket sales are due to start in the new year, and when uh, and that's when the fares will be disclosed. The airline's current transatlantic network uh, covers Baltimore, Washington, and Boston, with Montreal and Toronto to be added next May. Airline founder and chief executive Scully Murgensen said that we are thrilled to add Los Angeles and San Francisco to our fast-growing network. This is a game-changer for Wow Air as we cement ourselves as the industry leader in the ultra-low-cost long-haul category. This is just another one, you know, another one of these... I mean, you've obviously got Norwegian who mm. fly um, to the States with a Dreamliner, yeah. and uh, Wow Air... I mean, it'd be really interesting to see, Matt, in the new year, how much they're going to charge for a ticket to um, to the States. Because, mm. I mean, to get f- to fly from the UK to, to Reykjavik in Iceland, you can get a flight reasonably cheap for, for under 100 quid with um, wow. EasyJet. And if they're going to charge, I don't know, 300 quid for a ticket to the States, yeah. it'll be cheaper to fly to cool, yeah. Reykjavik and then yeah. fly, from, and there then fly to, from there to the States. To the States. Yeah, absolutely. So we'll have to keep our eyes on that mm. one. Oh, um, definitely. I, that, the States is one of the places that is very much on my to-do list. I really yeah. want to go to the States. I really do. New York. I'd love to go to Vegas. Love to go to Vegas. Oh. No. I'm going in February. Are you? Yeah. I didn't tell you. No, Sorry. you didn't. Bad, bad man. <laughs> Aww. Geordie's been. Now you're going. Oh, sorry. My friend Colin, he's been. I'm, I'm, at the moment, I'm trying to weigh up which airline to fly with. <laughs> <laughs> that's my biggest choice for the for the holiday mm. not that we're going to vegas but the the, the we're, we're trying i'm trying to, to, to work i was the one on on flight tracker trying to um <laughs> ascertain as to what um aircraft um yes ba virgin delta and american use on that route i think it's safe to say ladies and gentlemen a very beautiful friendship has now come to a very <laughs> abrupt <laughs> end uh, but anyway yes but i do intend on winning the lottery this weekend oh, which will obviously enable matt to come out with me well, uh, when we, we'll just be hiring Pip, surely. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah well, actually, right. yeah. We'll yeah. give Pip a ring. Yeah, we'll absolutely. give Pip a ring, yeah. <laughs> and we'll hire Pip. Hopefully, yeah, hopefully, Pip's uh, Pip's uh, jet can fly us to uh, to Vegas. Oh, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Pip, what is the range? Pip, can you fly me and Matt to Las Vegas from the UK? We'll put okay, it to you. Well, we'll see, see what happens, yeah. Absolutely. I, I think there's probably quite a few people in the chat room who'd like to join us, actually, to be fair. That's probably is yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Indeed. Anyway, on to the next story. And uh, this is on the Evening Times. Nobody knows Glasgow better. 
new search and rescue helicopter lands at Prestwick. Oh, that's very cool. Um, so here we go. It is a new state-of-the-art helicopter has landed at Prestwick Airport as part of a new £1.6 billion pound civil, civilian contract for search and rescue. The Sikorsky S-92 aircraft is operated by Bristow Helicopters LTD on behalf of HM Coast Guard after the US headquartered firm won the deal, ending 70 years of a service run by the RAF and the Royal Navy Squadrons. It means the red and white helicopter, one of two to be based in Ayrshire, will replace the Sea King aircraft when the civilian service takes over from the military and begins operations in January. Samantha Will- Willenbacker, Director of UK Search and Rescue at Bristow Helicopters, said that the arrival of the helicopter was an exciting milestone. She said the, all, the crews all feel privileged to be delivering this vital public service and are eager to get started. The training program, which will be working, which will be working uh, through over the next couple of months, is an essential part of preparations. It will involve nighttime missions and some short periods of high activity levels. We will make every effort to minimise the disturbance to the local community and thank them in advance for their patience and support as we deliver this life-saving service. Miss Ms. Wilbacher said, uh, "HMS Gannett." which houses the existing search and rescue service, has helped in a smooth transition from the military to civilian service. She added, We have enjoyed working closely with our military colleagues and have enormous respect for the decades of outstanding service it has delivered to local communities. Jules uh, Matteoni, uh, Glasgow Prestwick Airport Aviation Services Fire and Rescue Director, said, We hope that the significant investment made by Bristow in to, uh, to base its operations here demonstrates the value that they ascribe to working in partnership with an experienced aviation base. We've hosted search and rescue at the airport for more than 40 years. The SAR helicopter base at Presswick Airport is one of 10 bases which will which the UK SAR contract will be delivered, five of which are already live. They include Inverness Airport, Stornoway and Sumbra. So this is obviously replacing the uh, the Sea King that was retired earlier this year, isn't it? The uh, S-92 then, two-pilot uh, crew, and mm. can carry 19 passengers. Wow. Which is, uh, makes it quite a good uh, helicopter yeah. for sea, sea rescues. And uh, I'm just looking down at the, uh, the range. It has a mm. range of, a pretty good range actually, 539 nautical miles mm. this helicopter can fly. Wow. Uh, on a on a full tank and uh, can fly up to fourteen thousand feet high. Wow! So there we go. It's Gosh. good news, though, isn't it? it is, at, least, well, yeah, at least we've got something. Well, in place I don't know. For, um, I don't know for everyone here. I we don't do know why. Seeking. Yeah, I don't mm. know why it had to be taken out of military hands. To be honest, but mm. there we are. I'm sure there are reasons. So loads of chatter in the chat room. The chat room has gone mad this week. It it's, has, yeah, it's, it's good. Yeah. We've got people all around the globe. I know. There's people from all around the globe in the chat room this week, which is Indeed. good. Which is some, good. some even in Lowestoft. Re- oh, blimey. Yes. One in Whirlingham. Oh, blimey. Yes, as in some locals. Uh, Mr. Mr. Rusted has joined us. Oh, good evening. Yes, I see Mr. Rusted. I did say hello to Oh, Rob. did you? Oh, all right. Yes, okay, yes, just me yes, then. Yes. yes. So, well, I was reading, wasn't I? I know, so. I know. <laughs> <laughs> So next story on Flight Global's Indeed. website, and uh, this is something that happened as well, another incident um, of a Shaheen 737 that was badly damaged during a landing. Mm. Um, there's been video, there's a video actually this of, uh, on social media on YouTube of this uh, uh, landing, of a passenger actually videoed this inside the aircraft oh, right. uh, of the landing, and uh, I don't think we've got the video on here, oh. no we haven't, mm. um, but it was... Um, 
it was quite interesting to watch because it was filmed out the window and you could see the aircraft starting to land wow. and uh, gradually the engines were getting closer and closer to the runway and then they and yeah so the seven three seven four hundred. What we'll do is you'll try and find that in the break, and we'll see if we can. Yeah, we'll see if we can find yeah, that. Absolutely. It's not a lot going on in the video. To be no. fair, there's not a lot of audio and stuff. Lies there so. as well. Hello, lies. Hello, lies. Yes, um, uh, we have briefed Pip by the way that there's a new stinger for him, but he hasn't. Yeah. But he won't. He wouldn't let me play it earlier. So no, uh, yeah, it's, a, it's a treat. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes. The uh, seven three seven four hundred aircraft operated by Pakistani carrier Shaheen Air International. Uh, suffered damage upon landing at Al-Malakbal International Airport in Lahore. Uh, local media said the aircraft registered Alpha Papa Bravo Juliet Oscar had operated flight November Lima 142 from Karachi when its main landing gear failed upon landing. Images on social media show the aircraft resting on grass with at least one main landing gear bogey shorn off uh, with tyres shredded. The rear emergency escape door is shown to be open with the emergency slide deployed and damage to the right engine is also apparent. More than 100 passengers were reportedly aboard the jet with 10 passengers suffering from injuries uh, during when they were um, obviously... Look at the state of that. So if we um, put that that image on YouTube so the uh, listeners can see that. Uh, And we can see the the top left-hand side is obviously the main landing gear uh, actually Mm. sheared off. Uh, and there's another shot below that with the shredded landing gear tyre. Uh, top right-hand side is obviously the rear of the aircraft with the uh, passenger door open uh, with a, dis- a uh, chute deployed. And then we can see at the bottom right-hand side there the, uh, one of the CFM engines on the aircraft uh, looking rather uh, in a sorry state, really. Yeah. But, and any uh, idea as to the actual cause yet? No, I, I, I haven't read the report from this one yet, mm. but, I mean, an undercarriage failure of this, it could be anything, hydraulics well, yeah, or electrics yeah, or something, something like that. Pretty serious malfunction there, isn't it? Um, mm. So the aircraft in question, um, Shaheen Airlines received the aircraft in 1992. Mm. Uh, oh, sorry, it's a 90, uh, 2012. Uh, it's actually a 1992 built aircraft. Right. Um, so that makes that, how many years old? 92, 2002, 2012, 20... Uh, Twenty odd Don't years. You're looking old. at me as if, as if it's terrible. <laughs> the uh, the uh, That's carrier why a driver. Coach. I know the carrier <laughs> operates uh, a mix of seven three seven four hundreds and A three twenties as well as some A three thirties. In July this year, the Pakistan Civil Aviation Authority grounded four of their aircraft Gosh. due to reoccurring safety concerns. Oh goody. So there we go. That story that's, then. That's um, delightful there, news then. Yes. Uh, for those of you, if, like I said, uh, if you go onto YouTube, mm. you can, you can uh, yeah. Google this and or YouTube this, and there's a video on there taken mm. inside the cabin of the aircraft. Uh, Glenn has uh, suggested possibly that it was an unstable approach as a, as a potential cause. Yeah, for the, uh, it could, well, could possibly well be. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Anyway, on to the next story. This is also on Flight Global, and the headline is Dynamic 767 Fire Linked to Disconnected Fuel Line Assembly. Um... It's uh, a coupling assembly had to be disconnected from the fuel line of a dynamic international Airways Boeing 767-200ER that caught fire on the 29th of October at Fort Landerdale Hollywood International Airport. In an investigation update, the uh, National Transportation Safety Board says the main fuel line's coupling assembly was located in the strut that connects the left engine to the wing, both of which had been engulfed in flames. The agency has found no evidence of an uncontained engine failure, it also added. The aircraft, which was operating flight 405 to, is it Caracas? 
Caracas. 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 Uh, was taxiing towards the runway for takeoff when when then the, when the fire erupted, prompting an emergency evacuation of 90 passengers and 11 crew. One person was injured seriously and 21 sustained minor injuries resulting in the evacuation, says the NTSB's update. While the fire did not penetrate the main cabin, it did damage the left engine cowling uh, centre section of the left side fuselage and the lower inboard portion of the left wing, the NTSB has said. Um, the aircraft's logbook shows that no maintenance had been performed on the fuel coupling assembly immediately before the fire, it also added. The 767 registration, uh, which was November 251 Mike Yankee, had been in storage for 29 months prior to September 20. That's a long time for it mm. to be yeah. laid up, isn't it? You'd have thought it had required... Massive check. Well, absolutely, yeah. yeah. To make sure that nothing had perished in that time, mm. which would suggest maybe that's what's happened here. But anyway, then the Dynamic leased, uh, then Dynamic leased the aircraft. The company has since operated... Uh, has since operated the 767 for about 240 hours, the NTSB has said. Uh, KMW Leasing 2 LLC owns the aircraft, according to Flight Global's fleet's analyzer. The NTSB has already interviewed the two pilots and nine cabin crew and is now examining the flight data records and reviewing maintenance records As at the company's Greensboro, North Carolina headquarters, it said. Excuse me one moment. It's me tea time. <clears throat> Following the accident, uh, Dynamic issued a directive requiring inspection of the fuel line coupling assemblies on all their aircraft. Uh, Dynamic's fleet includes one 767-200, two 767-200ERs and one 767-300ER, according to Fleet's Analyzer. Now, this, uh, this is one of the ones we covered in a previous show. Mm. That, yep. that was, uh, there was loads of videos on social media of this aircraft yes. burning away on mm. the runway. And that, that, this was the one that we talked about, Matt, where the yes. people were getting off with their, with their luggage. luggage. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Which is rather, uh, mm. rather worrying, I, I, I must say. Uh, so next story is on Flight Global's website. And uh, headline, Air New Zealand signs for 15 ATR-72s. Ooh. This is over Stephen Grant's uh, side of the uh, Absolutely. Of the and, show. of course, um, um, is it, uh, where's he gone? You've forgotten. He's forgotten, forgotten. This is, he's one of the new listeners to see. Yes, yes. So Air Glenn, New, Glenn, that's Glenn, it. Yes, yes, yes Glenn. Yes. This is for you, Glenn, this Indeed. story, especially for you, Glenn. Uh, <laughs> Air New Zealand has signed a firm agreement for 15 new ATR 72-600s in a deal worth $375 million at list prices. Silly money. In a statement, the airline says that 11 of the turboprops will be used to replace their existing ATR 72-500s, while the other four will further allow growth on regional routes. The turboprops will be uh, delivered uh, from late 2016. And the extra four 69C ATR 72-600s that were added to our fleet will enable us to operate an additional 600,000 seats into the New Zealand regional market annually. The latest investment will further allow us to maintain our low fare price and high-frequency leadership, says the airline's chief executive, Christopher Luxon. Air New Zealand signed for 14-600s in 2012. Seven of these aircraft have since been delivered, while the remaining seven will join the fleet by the mid-2016. Upon delivery of the air, new aircraft, the Star Alliance carrier will operate a fleet of 29 ATR turboprops, and it's also, uh, it also has uh, 19 Beach 1900Ds and 23 Bombardier-8Q300s in its fleet as well. So that's good news for uh, for ATR. That's a, a you know a manufacturer we don't mm. talk about that often. No. Um, 
you know, with the, this is a popular, a very popular aircraft, the ATR seventy two. Indeed, uh, a lot of airlines around the globe, including in the UK, because mm. Flybe, uh, Flybe operate them as well. I think, oh, do they? Well. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Oh, hello, Tony S. He's joined us in the chat room. Good evening to you, Tony. Uh, hello, uh, Josh says hi. By the way. As in oh, little Josh. Oh, little Josh. Should little we, Josh. Should we do a joint wave? Yeah, we should. Hello. Hello, Josh. <laughs> <laughs> the next story. Indeed. Yes, uh, this oh, is... Oh, I picked this story because this is especially for Steve from over at PCDU. Mm-hmm. Because he loves Tiger Air. No, he doesn't. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Oh, dear. Oh. Uh, right. Anyway, uh, analysis. This is on Flight Global, and the, it says, Analysis. SIA pulls Tiger Air out of the jungle. Singapore Airlines offers offer to delist unit Tiger Air. Uh, is the final piece in the group's ambition of building a true portfolio operation and will end years of misery at the ill-starred low-cost carrier. Uh, Tiger Air appears poised to enter a new chapter in its uh, history with SIA's offer um, to buy out the 44.2% stake it does not already own in the subsidiary, assuming shareholders accept the bid, and it is probable they will, given the premium is 32%, the the premium that SIA is offering is 32%. It will set the stage for SIA to fully capitalise on the potential synergies between Tiger Air and its long-haul low-cost unit, Scoot. Indeed, it is the pro- it is probable that SIA could even look to do away with the Tiger Air brand altogether, potentially rebranding it under the Scoot name, which would reduce marketing costs and improve brand clarity. These questions are only likely to be answered after the deal goes through, however. Uh, more significantly, the offer marks SIA's admission that the low-cost brand is here to stay. When Tiger Air was founded over a decade ago, SIA had a 49% stake in the fledgling airline. SIA at the time was firmly committed to a pure full-service model founded in its premium SIA and Silk Air brands. Uh, as in the, the two th- as the two thousands, um, as in the year two thousand unfolded, um, Tiger Air, then known as Tiger Airways, grew with aggressive franchise expansions into Australia, Indonesia, oh, yes. and the Philippines. The carrier reached a high water mark of sorts in January twenty ten when it raised. Um, $247.7 million with an initial public offering. The uh, SIA stake, meanwhile, fell to just over 30% in early 2010. Uh, all was not well at Tiger Air, however, uh, or Tiger, however. Aggressive competition from large, well-capitalized rivals such as Lion Air in Indi- Indonesia and uh, Cebu Pacific in the Philippines hammered earnings at its franchi- franchisees. A particularly harrowing period occurred in 2011 when the Australia unit was suspended for a time on safety concerns. Losses racked up quarter upon quarter as SIA looked on with uh, consternation it was having to uh, rethink about the potential for low cost. In November 2011 it established long-haul low-cost unit Scoot. At the time, industry observers said SIA was getting annoyed with Asia Air, or Air Asia, sorry, flying passengers to Kuala Lumpur and transferring them to uh, Air Asia X for regional flights. Further evidence of SIA's determination to get serious in the low-cost game emerged in December 2013 when it entered an agreement with Singapore's sovereign investment fund, uh, Temasek 
Holdings to buy a 7.3% stake in Tiger Air's parent company, taking its total stake to 40%. So Tiger Air, as we said, one of Steve's favourite airlines. And <laughs> yeah, right. uh, we've just uh, in the chat room here, and uh, they're saying that uh, Ray Davis says that uh, Tiger Air is uh, is the sort of version of Ryanair. <gasps> Uh, over there, it can't be that I bad, know. surely. <laughs> well, Ty- Tiger Air uh, obviously is uh, it's uh, based at hubs in Singapore, Changi Airport. Mm. Uh, has a destination of so thirty-eight of those and a fleet size of twenty-five mm. aircraft. Um, but uh, yeah, if anyone wants to know anything about Tiger Air, uh, just contact Steve Vischer over at the <laughs> Plane uh, Crazy Dan Under podcast, where he'll be more than delighted to receive your comment. Yeah. <laughs> Not. I'm going to get in trouble now. You are going to get into lots of piles and piles of it, in fact, yes. Uh, Flight Global, next story. <laughs> and uh, last story, in fact, on Flight Global and uh, the headline, the crucial decisions facing Airbus over the A350 and A380. Matt's eating eat some sweets. That's why I put them there for you. <laughs> Where is, it? is, it, is, it, is this Left like... Leftover from trick-or-treats. Oh, I thought you went trick-or-treating for a minute. No, I didn't. <laughs> no. This was for knockers, I presume. Yes, it yes. was, oh. yeah. Of which we had none. How organised? Really? No, I didn't How organised? How organised is your wife? Because I know your wife did this and not you. No, I bagged those Did, did you? Yes. Well, I'm slightly shocked. No, no, that's not the camera I wanted, was it? There, no, there, we, go. there we go. There we go, look. Look, look at, at those that. sweets. That's quite look a horde. sweeties. That's look. awesome. Anyway, yes, sorry. Back, back to There's the loads task. More. There's loads more in a tin. <laughs> so uh, Air, as Airbus begins assembly of its largest twin jet to date, the A350-1000, it faces a crucial decision about whether to add an even bigger version to its armoury to enable it to go head-to-head with the Boeing 777-9X. Toulouse's strategy in the big twin sector is one of the uh, potentially life-changing decisions it's got to face as the time is coming for it to put up or shut up uh, about a re-engined and perhaps slightly larger version of today's A380-800. Ooh. Officials' uh, details about uh, both projects, dubbed the A350-1100 and the A380neo, or new engine option, Mm -hmm. are sketchy, as is any official clarity on whether Airbus uh, in its decision-making processes. It's not clear whether the decision to launch one or the other project is mutually exclusive. When pushed, Airbus executives have spoken about both potential developments, but have generally played their cards close to their chests. At last year's uh, Singapore Air Show, the manufacturer's chief executive, Fabrice Brigier, left the door open uh, to a competitive response to the General Electric GE9X powered 777 9X, saying that while the Dash 1000 360 seat passenger jet uh, A350 count was the sweet spot, and there are no short term or mid term plans to do a stretch version. We could well envisage an additional members uh, to the A350 uh, family. When launched, the Rolls-Royce Trent XWB-powered A350 was planned as a three-aircraft family with the Dash 900 as the initial baseline variant from which the 1-1000 stretch and Dash 800 shrink were also to be adapted. But as the A350 has proceeded through definition, the Dash 1000 was redesigned to provide greater capability with a revised version of the Trent XWB offering more thrust than uh, when the largest A350 variant was first envisaged. Meanwhile, the Dash 800 has uh, effectively been abandoned in favour of re-engineering the A330. Now, uh, 
Obviously, um, this is um, something we've talked about in the past, though, obviously with the three Airbus A380, with Airbus mm. slowing down production of those aircraft because they haven't sold or they're not selling them as, as many as they'd hoped. As yeah. they hoped, yeah. um, which is why I think Airbus were, were planning on having this re-engined version mm. of the A380 to try and... Sort of one of the kickstart, essentially. One of the yeah. biggest problems, Matt, with the, a, with the A380, it's a huge aircraft, carry, it's the biggest in the world, mm. carries lots of people, but it's got four big engines, and four big engines use four big lots of fuel. Mm. And, uh, you know, with uh, Boeing bringing in the 777, you know the the nine X dash nine X out. Mm. You know it's going to not carry quite as many people. No, but it's got two engines and it's going to be really you know it's supposed to be really ultra fuel efficient. So it'll be interesting to see what mm. happens there. Absolutely. Um, Matt, Matty Fabs actually said surely they should have started with dash one hundred two hundred surely rather than. I oh, know they should have done really. <laughs> I know. It's yeah. a bit like Boeing, really, with the mm-hmm. uh, but with the Boeing aircraft. You had the seven oh seven. Yeah, the, uh, we had the seven one seven, seven two seven, seven three seven, seven four, seven mm-hmm. five, seven six, seven seven, seven eight. Yeah. Um, will there be a seven nine seven? Ooh, I don't know. Who knows? Could well be. Mm. Uh, Glenn's actually said that I think that he he's convinced that the Neo A three eighty will fly eventually. Yeah, I think they'll have to do something. Mm. Uh, there is scope out there. There are there are airlines that mm. use the A three eighty. As in Emirates. Very happily, yeah. Yes, of course. Got yeah. Low, they've got the yeah. largest fleet of Airbus A380s mm. in the world. Mm. Um, you know, there's, there's, there is a, a you know, useful Qantas. Yeah. I've got quite a few of them as well. Uh, Matty Fab's actually saying, again, and it always comes down to this, doesn't it? It's all yeah. about price per seat per, per mile. Per mile, mm. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So that's where we're going to bring the news segment to a close. Indeed, yes. Uh, if, uh, I can't remember what I was going to say then. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we will be right back uh, while we go and have a quick cup of tea. Uh, we will be right back after these very delightful and highly important messages. Find this and other great shows at the Aviation Media Network. The Voices in Your Head.com. The Plane Talking UK podcast is a voluntary project that aims to keep you informed with the latest aviation-related stories from newswires across the globe. Producing our content does cost money, though. If you enjoy our show, why not help us keep on the air by making a donation towards the server and website hosting fees through PayPal? Any contributions would be greatly appreciated. Are you an Amazon user? If so, why not do your shopping through the link on our website? There's no cost to yourself, and Amazon pay us a small referral fee on qualifying purchases. To find out more about the show and to meet the team, take yourself to our website website www.plaintalkinguk.com or find us on facebook at facebook.com forward slash plaintalkinguk on twitter via at plaintalkinguk or get in touch via email on podcast at plaintalkinguk.com thanks Thanks for for listening. listening aviation media has long been the domain of the newspapers and magazines well not anymore i'm steve visher and I'm Grant McCarran, and we're bringing aviation right into your radio. Yes, we're making aviation cool and interesting for everyone. Hang on, aviation's always been cool. Check this out. How cool is this? Grant, Grant, turn that down. 
Here at Plane Crazy Down Under, we've got pilots, engineers, air traffic controllers, industry leaders, even politicians dropping by to talk to us about the amazing world of aviation right here in Australia and occasionally in New Zealand as well. Wow, that's cooler than I thought, mate. Find us at planecrazydownunder.com, on iTunes, or lurking about on other people's podcasts just like this one. We've got crazy accents and lots of great aviation content. And we promise not to talk about the cricket. No, never. Not the cricket. Quack, 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 quack. <laughs> what is cricket anyhow? Something we win a lot. Oh, there oh. we We are back. We are back, yes. I must say, I'm sorry, I'm laughing because I'm just reading what's going on. We were having a chat uh, about, uh, we played a little video clip to those who were watching on YouTube, mm. uh, and um, we had a little problem because poor Glenn, his, his feed froze. froze. But uh, some rather amusing jokes have come in. As, as, uh, one involved uh, us singing uh, Frozen, which was okay. nice, but also uh, Philip Dyson says it's uh, not frozen, it's actually quite warm here in Torquay. Oh. <laughs> I it's actually I'm been sorry. quite mild. I, I found that considering quite the amount of sixteen rain degrees. The car, sixteen degrees. The car said yeah, when I came over. It's which, mild, absolutely, and it's all good here in Oz. Ray Davis says, "Hello, well. Ray." Um, excellent. Yeah. Anyway, right. yes, no, sorry, yes. Some military news. We do. Yes, Come on, absolutely. let's move on. Yes, are you ready? Yes, I'm ready. Let's do this thing. Let's go. So kicking off the first uh, week's military news story on Flight Global site and the headline Lockheed pushes F-16 stress test to 27,000 hours. Lockheed Martin has tested the structural integrity of an F-16C Block 50 over 27,700 hours. Uh, equivalent flight hours, as it seeks to extend the life of the aircraft from 8,000 hours to 12,000 hours. The company says full-scale stress and fatigue testing at the company's durability test facility in Fort Worth, Texas, concluded in July after reaching 27,713 hours over 32 cycles, and the aircraft is now being pulled apart and inspected for structural aberrations. The extensive testing allows Lockheed engineers to develop a roadmap for keeping Block 40 to Block 52 versions operational beyond their design life of 8,000 hours. The U.S. Air Force plans on life extending approximately 300 of their F-16Cs and Ds after cancelling a more comprehensive modernization package. Since the Lockheed F-35 will come online far later than originally expected. Lockheed is also looking to uh, the structural needs of 27 other F-16 operators, particularly Taiwan and South Korea. The life extension preparations become as Lockheed flight tests its F-16V configuration for the first time at Fort Worth, Texas. The type features Northrop Grumman's APG-83. APG, airline pilot guy, uh, scalable <laughs> agile beam radar. You are such a geek. And is be- being offered as a new build. I think Jeff's been keeping quiet about something. Yeah, oh, he's he? an F-16 pilot. Oh, dear. Um, mind you, the mad dog is a bit of an F-16. Right, I- I'm-, I'm sorry, what? 
I know. Okay. <laughs> New builder upgrade, sorry, preferably <laughs> as an integrated upgrade or a life extension package. The Lockheed uh, continues to produce F-16s at a very low rate and recently delivered its final tranche of Egyptian F-16 Block 52 uh, aircraft uh, to the Egyptian Air Force. Four of the aircraft arrived at Cairo West Air Force Base on the 29th of October and have been immediately integrated into the force. The four add to the eight that were all delivered in June after the Obama administration lifted its ban on deliveries of military equipment to Cairo. Mm. Iraq continues to receive aircraft and Lockheed expects to further receive orders to sustain the production line beyond 2017. Wow. So if, if you can bring that picture up there, Matt, there's an yeah, accident. Uh, there's the there's stress testing of the F-16. You can see there. Oh gosh! Uh, they've got it in one of these test beds, and you mm. can see they've got like the weights and stuff, and the and the, on the actual wings to mm. to, to simulate takeoffs and landings. Right. And stuff, to, yep. to stress the aircraft. Okay. Which is part of what, what every aircraft is. has to do. Mm. Which is uh, it's pretty cool. That's good. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. Anyway, on to the next story, and this is Flight Global again. And the headline is Heavyweight A400M clears grass landing. Test. Oh, wow. Uh, Airbus Defence and Space has completed work to certificate its A400M tactical transport for operations on grass and natural soil landing strips. Performed over a three week period, uh, concluding in October, this activity involved making approximately 40 takeoffs and landings using roughly 4,600 feet, that's 1,400 metre long strips, at Ecury Sir Cool Airfield in France. Around six flights were performed for certification authorities. Uh, we have uh, demonstrated that we can operate without any damage and, certi- and certified and qualified with maximum capability for or capacity sorry, for braking and using maximum reverse thrust, says Head of Flight Tests and Operations Eric Esource. Esource. The A400M demonstrated excellent performance in both taxiing manoeuvres such as U-turns and taking off and landing, Airbus has said. Airbus uh, experimental test pilots Tony Flynn says the work involved repeatedly uh, putting aircraft... uh, test aircraft MSN2 down inside a critical 100 meter long touchdown box at operating weights of up to 114 tons. This equates to an operator being able to transport and deliver a 30 ton armoured vehicle he says and as the tests performed uh, included a safety margin he adds we know we can go even heavier than that the, uh, the than that aircraft weight. With this aspect of the landing test complete and trials on a gravel strip previously performed at Ablitus in Spain. Airbus Defence and Space will perform similar trials on loose soil and sand during 2016. So that's the A400M, one of of our favourite military transport aircraft. We've we've seen these. Mm -hmm. We saw one of these at Rio. We certainly did, yes. Uh, which is pretty awesome. I miss Rio. Rio was amazing. I know, I know. I, I, I miss, definitely miss Rio. We really enjoyed that this year. Yes. Um, and obviously, we, we, met, we met Pip there as well, didn't we? We did. So, and well. that, that obviously was the highlight for me, personally. I know. It was yeah. for me, never too. Mind the, never mind the planes. Never mind the planes, yeah. no. <laughs> but no, the A400M, though, um, uh, absolutely fantastic aircraft. Mm. Um, you know, unfortunately, they did have that slight um, mishap with the crash and stuff early mm. this year. Yes. But uh, still, no, still no further news on that, really, is there? But Well, that was a software issue they mm. had. Oh, right. Mm. Um, with that, which was uh, something to do with, with the engine and stuff. Mm. But um, right. but no, still a, still a fantastic aircraft. Indeed. Absolutely. Uh, absolutely loved that. Mm. So moving on to the next story, uh, 
United States, it's on Flight Global, United States yeah. Navy to continue buying Boeing Super Hornets as F-35Cs arrive. Mm. The U.S. Navy officials have reaffirmed plans to procure an additional 24 to 36 Boeing F-A-18 Hornets through a fiscal year of 2018, while also boosting F-A-18C life extension rates, primarily due to delays in fielding the carrier-based Lockheed Martin F-35Cs. Boeing has been trying desperately to shore up Super Hornets and EA. 18G growler production in St. Louis, Missouri, but the company's difficulty in securing international sales has raised doubts. However, comments by Navy officials at a congressional hearing uh, this week suggest more FA-18 Hornets in fiscal 2017 and 2018. Uh, that's in addition to the dozen aircraft that are likely to be funded by the current fiscal 2016 budget. We have a strike fighter infantry management challenge, says Air Navy Warfare Director Rear Admiral Michael Manzier. Mm -hmm. If you look at the demands in the strike fighters into 2030, we have a shortfall. The shortfall in the early part of the 2020s is about 138 airplanes. The Navy expects to overcome that shortfall by life extending the F-18 18C uh, from 6,000 hours to 10,000 hours and uh, through the procurement of two to three squadrons of Super Hornets. The service has had difficulty life extending these aircraft because of the depot uh, throughput limitations and an unanticipated <laughs> amount of internal corrosion. Unlike shore-based aircraft, naval airframes must withstand corrosive salt water from the sea and stress of arrested landings, mm, True, making the life extension process much more uncertain. The Navy overhauled approximately 30 legacy jets last year, according to Manzir, and throughput rates have increased 40% this year. In 2017, the Navy hopes to life extend 104 F-18C Hornets, and all this activity relates to the delayed introduction of the F-35, which has been in development since 2001. The Navy has pushed out its F-35C procurement profile, contending that the aircraft without the Block 3F software didn't meet the needs of the carrier air wings. Block 3F includes the full complement of F-35 capabilities and weapons at the end of system development and demonstration. And this is a, the a configuration the Navy intends to declare initial operational capability with in August 2018. Uh, the Super Hornet, I've, I've, I think I, saw, I saw one of these a few years ago at, uh, at RIA. Mm. Um, really, that's a brilliant aircraft to see, twin engine, mm. the uh, Hornet. Um, but it's good to see they're going to keep these guys in the air anyway. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, last story. Yeah, last story. This is on the Royal Air Force website. And the headline is RAF squadrons on exercise Trident Juncture. Uh, the Royal Air Force squadrons have been participating in the latest NATO exercise since, uh, in the largest, my apologies, NATO exercise since 2002. They formed part of the 36,000 military personnel and 140 wow. aircraft working together on Exercise Trident Juncture 2015 in Spain, Italy and Portugal. In a demonstration to NATO allies that the UK takes its collective defence obligations very seriously, the RAF committed two squadrons of fast jets supported by airborne early warning and tanker aircraft to the exercise, developing joint and combined warfare skills with NATO allies allies and partner nations. Squadron leader, leader Stu Lawson is the chief planner for all of the exercise air activity in Spain. He said 
this has been NATO's largest live exercise in over a decade. A year in the planning, bringing all the components together, integrating them and uh, deconflicting with other aircraft to safely deliver large-scale combined air operations has been a, con- a constant challenge. Personally, it's been a great deal of responsibility, but fascinating to see a plan all come together. The majority of fast jets were based at uh, Alba... Is it Alba... Albacete. Albacete, my apologies if that's badly pronounced. Uh, Spain, which uh, became temporary home to one F squadron and 31 squadron for the duration of the three-week exercise. Over the course of Trident Juncture 3000, flying sorties were planned. 1,200 in Spain alone, where 120 aircraft were spread over seven air bases. Flying up to 18 training missions a day, RAF fast jet crews flew day and night in a range of scenarios varying from leading offensive strike packages of 40 aircraft to night combat search and rescue supported by US Air Force CV-22 Osprey. Ah, the Osprey. Yeah, the B-22. The tilt rotors. Um, Squadron leader Lawson continued, the two RAF squadrons at Albacete have also successfully completed mixed pairs close air, mixed pairs close air support missions on the nearby Chinchilla um, range working in support of the UK's 4th Armoured Brigade. A unique opportunity to practice fighting together across aircraft types. This has all been supported by sterling work from a pair of E-3D sentries uh, from 8 Squadron and a Voyager tanker from 10-101 Squadron based at Tour Tejon near Madrid. In summary, X-Trident Juncture has been a unique training opportunity for the RAF. The UK has been a leading nation in an awesome display of NATO alliance power. For Officer Commanding 31 Squadron, the involvement of Tornado Force in the exercise was a real, of real benefit. He said, uh, this has been a tremendously successful exercise for 31 Squadron. It's given us the opportunity to allow our crew to train in different roles to which, uh, to which they normally train for Op Shader and uh, before that Op Herrick. It's been a refreshing change and has enabled us to train in the larger and more complex GR4 operations. The young aircrew in the squadron who have been on the Tornado Force for three years are unlikely to have seen this before, even though they may have uh, done a number of operational tours. They are benefiting immensely uh, because they're seeing a different aspect of operating the tornado, which is really beneficial to the force and to the RAF. From the perspective of the whole squadron, this has been a very positive experience. At least half of the squadron have not experienced a detachment where you go away as a team, where you don't have the operational pressures. Uh, Whilst uh, it is more uh, time away from home, we've all learned positive lessons and forged new relationships with our allies and further improved the relationship with our RAF colleagues. For Officer Commanding 1F Squadron, who operate the Typhoon FGR-4 Swing Roll Fighter from RAS Lossimath, Trident Juncture was similarly successful. He said, this exercise is about uh, interpopular... Interoperab- 
interoperability between a number That's of a different uh, indeed uh, between a number of different countries we've flown missions across the mediterranean sea the iberian peninsula and into portugal working with fast jets from italy spain portugal turkey and france as well as raf tornadoes working with these different nato countries means we're learning how to operate and integrate effectively together this means that in future we sh- should we need to do a short note do anything at short notice we can operate effectively as a coalition in a contested challenging environment trident juncture has been hugely beneficial to the squadron we're on high readiness for the uk as an attack aircraft platform to maintain our swing role skills we need constant training and being able to operate over here and do a number of demanding and different sorties is of vital importance to us Massive story. Well done, mate. Yeah, thank you. You've done that one. <laughs> so it's a huge exercise, then. It is. It's yeah. quite exciting. Loads of people yeah, involved in that absolutely. as well. That's yeah, crazy. Yeah, yeah. I love anything like that, though. I think that's a fantastic idea. We should be invited there, and we should do oh, live yeah. shows. <laughs> live shows from awesome. there. If there's any way that they could do <laughs> I don't know. I don't. I don't even know how I would get a strong enough signal to be able to to upload something live. But yeah. hey, I could certainly do audio. That yeah, would be about audio. it. Yeah, we could do an audio one. Yeah. Do I have a contact, Carlos? Pip, what do you mean? What contact? Contact what? I don't know. It, it uh, explain to me, Pip, and I'll uh, I'll re- I'll uh, get get back to you. Don't know what Pip's here. Pip's asking. There's loads of talking in the chat. There is. Yes, on. absolutely. Actually, I, I can't help but feel nobody's listening to us. They're it, all just chatting amongst themselves. So the chat in the in the at the moment in the chat <laughs> yeah. room, uh, everyone's chatting about next year Farnborough. Ah, um, right. Yes, because yes, yes. Uh, obviously the big one next year, the, the big, big one, the yes. big podcast meet. <laughs> oh no, that was last. No, that week. was last week. Yeah, yeah. yeah sorry. Yeah, yeah we we're, uh, we're all hopefully. Uh, I know that Captain Jeff and or I think also Miami Rick as well is uh, Farnborough 2012. There we go. Uh, is uh, they're booked up to stay um, at Farnborough. Uh, oh yeah, for the passes. Yeah, Pip. I'll uh, I'll sort that out for you, Pip. I'll um, I'll get the link. You can't apply for the media passes until next year. Uh, but I shall but let le- you know. leave it with with him. I'm yeah. sure. Yeah, 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 I shall sort yeah. that out. So there are we. Yeah, so it's <laughs> going to be a big. It's going to be a huge year. I yeah. mean, uh, I mean, like I said, Jeff, Miami, Rick, and I think Doctor Steph as well, right. maybe G. Okay, um, are all flying over from the states cool. for the show, and mm. it's going to be absolutely massive. Sounds great. Sounds um, great. I, I really hope I can join you there because that'd be amazing. I know. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, we have got then up next uh, mm. the segment that's been sent in this week from the legend. The legend that is. That is. Pilot, Pilot Pip. Pip, yes, and uh, we've got uh, we, well, we've got the, the opportunity to play the new jingle for Pip. Woohoo! <laughs> so if uh, if all you guys in the uh, in the chat room are ready, here we go. Then it's time for the legend that is Pilot Pip. Plane safety from the flight deck with Pilot Pip. Hi everyone, it's Pip here. Sorry for my absence for the last couple of episodes, Uh, no excuses, but I'm back now. And this week I thought I'd talk a little bit about fog. We saw earlier last weekend and early in the week that operations at various airports around the UK were somewhat hampered by the presence of persistent fog. And it's the same old story, we see it every winter, get a bit of fog and it causes delays. But there's a good reason for that. It's not laziness or the typical British wrong kind of fog on the tracks attitude. 
fog and low visibilities really does cause us some problems and we have various strategies for dealing with it, us as pilots and air crew and the airports as well. Now fog actually is defined as uh, water vapour present uh, reducing visibility to less than 1,000 metres. Above 1,000 metres then it's just mist. But less than 1,000 metres is fog. Although side note, uh, if you go to the UK highway code they actually say fog is less than 100 metres. But for aviation purposes less than 1,000 metres. And it starts to become a bit more of a problem when we get down to 800 metres or less. So that's generally when airports start to introduce something called LVPs, which is Low Visibility Procedures. So 800 metres and falling, uh, they start to introduce LVPs. Now, each airport comes up with its own set of procedures for low visibility, and it depends very much on the facilities they have available to them. All airports are not the same. They have different lighting facilities, uh, different instrument approach facilities, some of them have ground radar, so obviously places like Heathrow, Gatwick, all the major airports will have ground radar so they can actually track aircraft movements on the ground. Whereas other places do not, they have to rely on other procedures. But I'll tell you about it from a pilot's point of view, because that's what I know. So when we're dealing with fog, we also have our own LVPs, our own cockpit practices and our own set of procedures that we use for ensuring a safe operation in low visibility in fog. And generally speaking, takeoff is much more limiting than landing. We can we can cope with fog in landing. In fact, if your aircraft is Cat 3 qualified or certified and, and the crew are Cat 3, then you can land in almost zero visibility. Taxiing and takeoff is another story because you do, in fact, need to be able to see outside the aircraft to taxi around the airport. And exactly what sort of visibility constraints we can deal with depends very much on the facilities available at the airport. I'm talking primarily about the lighting facilities. As a standard, the, the minimum visibility that you can take off in is 150 metres. However, many airlines, including my own, have special authorization to take off in 125 metres visibility, which really isn't much at all, actually. But it could be a lot more than that, the limiting factor. As I say, it depends very much on what lighting facilities they've got. So it could be as much as 500 metres. If the visibility drops below that, then, well, you can't take off. So starting from the beginning of the journey, once we're ready to go and we've got the engines running, the first, or the biggest challenge, in fact, is going to be taxiing out to the runway. And with visibility down to as little as 125 metres, that can be quite a challenge. So the first step in all of this would be a thorough taxi routing briefing. Know or expect where you're going to be going, having briefed it and discussed it thoroughly. It's very easy to get lost in very big, uh, complicated airports like Heathrow, so a good strategy would be to taxi slowly. In our manuals, it's recommended that we limit ourselves to 10 knots of taxiing speed, which is pretty slow, actually. How can you tell what 10 knots is? Because obviously an airspeed indicator isn't that precise down at a, a low speed at 10 knots. But actually we can get a ground speed uh, readout from our uh, GPS or FMS. So you can have a look at it that way. Another strategy then would be for one person, at least one person, to be constantly eyes outside the aircraft. And that would generally be the guy taxing the airplane, who usually in low visibility procedures would be the captain in the left-hand seat. Many aircraft are only steerable from the left-hand seat, but whoever is doing the taxiing will be keeping their head constantly outside, looking outside the windows. And the other guy certainly will be outside as much as possible as well, but he'll be the guy with the chart. Now, if you're lucky, like I am, you have an integrated chart on one of the screens which overlays a little GPS aircraft symbol so you can see exactly where you are on the airport. That's a really great feature that I'm very pleased to have. 
But many guys are still working off just plain old paper charts. No fancy gizmos for them. So they've got to navigate their way around the airport by just referring down to their paper airport map and looking outside the window and trying to glimpse the, the taxiway signs and the hold points and this kind of thing. So the guy doing the navigating will be giving a running commentary almost. He'll be saying, OK, you're looking for your next turning. Juliet 1 will be on your left in about 100 metres or something like that. Now, as I say, again, it depends on the lighting facilities. Some airports will have the full uh, shebang. They'll have some nice green centre line markings on the taxiways and the blue edge lighting. The more lights, generally, the better, the easier it is. One of the golden rules when we're taxiing around at any point, but especially in LVPs, is never to cross the red stop bar. Certain taxiway junctions, and particularly the hold points before the runway, have a very obvious and very brightly lit red lights across them and you never go across without permission it's a classic trick they do when we're doing simulator training for the uh, low visibility procedures you get cleared for takeoff but they don't switch off the red stop bars so you've got to stop and ask atc and query it with them one of the other things we'll be doing or not be doing whilst we're taxiing around is the checklists normally there's a bunch of checklists the taxi checks and various other bits and bobs that we're needing to complete but with all our concentration on navigating and looking outside the window, a good strategy is to leave all checklists until uh, you're stopped at the runway hold or you're stopped somewhere else, but never do the checklist on the move. Make sure you're stopped, put the handbrake on, and then complete your checklists. Too easy to get distracted otherwise and go the wrong way or worse. But let's say we've successfully navigated our way out to the runway, we're holding short at the holding point, and we've got all our checklists complete. And incidentally, the holding points, there are several of them. In good visibility, you can taxi all the way up to the CAT1 holding point. But in low visibility procedures, the airport needs to protect the ILS installation and the ILS signal. So you have CAT2 and CAT3 holding points, which are much further back from the runway. And when there's fog present, when we're doing low visibility stuff, then we need to hold at either the CAT2 or the CAT3 areas in order to protect the ILS signal. We don't want to be taxiing across and causing problems for guys on the approach. So we're holding short and we're ready to go. So we need to know exactly what the visibility is along the runway. And we get that from ATC. In fact, we would have already known before we started taxiing. But they gave us a report on something called RVR, which is runway visual range. And this is a visibility reading looking down the direction of the runway. And it's given in meters. And in this example I'm using here, we are qualified and we have the correct lighting to go all the way down to 125 meters. So what we need is RVRs of at least 125 meters. And they give RVRs for three points along the runway. They give an RVR for the start point, for the midpoint, and for the end portion of the runway. And what you need to have is RVRs above your required minimum for each point that you are going to use on the runway, for each point that's relevant on the runway. So if you're just a small aircraft and you're only going to be using the start and mid end, then an RVR reading of 150, 125 and 100 would be good enough. So your start and mid end are above your minimum 125 and the stop end is below, but that's okay because you're not going to be using the stop end. If you're a big heavy 747 or something and you need the entire runway length, then you're going to need 125 meters all the way along. So if any one of them is less than 125 metres, then that's a no-go. And just to give you an idea, what you'd need for 125 metres in terms of lighting facilities is this. You would need high-intensity 
centre line lights on the runway spaced at 15 metres apart or less. You would also need high intensity runway edge lighting spaced at 60 metres or less. And you would also need to have, when you lined up on the runway, a visual segment in front of you of 90 metres. So you need to be able to look out your cockpit window and see at least 90 metres. And I'll tell you how we achieve that in a second. And if you don't have that minimum uh, lighting facility, then the minimum RVR that you can accept will obviously start going up towards 200 metres, 400 metres or 500 metres, something like that. But that depends. So there we are. We're lined up. We're ready to go. ATC has given us an RVR report of 125, 125 and 125. So all the RVR reports are at our minimum. So we're good to go. So we line up on the runway. We've completed our taxi checks now. And we need to make sure we're on the correct runway. Now, many airports have more than one runway and some of them intersect. Some of them have parallel taxiways. So it's important that you need to check you are, in fact, on the runway and on the center of it. There have been more than one accident in the past where aircraft have taken off on the wrong runway or taken off on a taxiway or not taken off from the center of the runway and caused themselves some damage or at least some damage to the airport facilities. So hopefully, if you're lucky, you'll be able to make out the runway identifier markings. Let's say we're at Heathrow and we're lining up on 09. Hopefully, as you line up onto the threshold, you'll see big white numbers on the runway saying 09. So that should be a pretty good clue that you're on the right runway. But another thing you can do, or at least that we do at SafeJets, we have a little mnemonic called ATP. And that stands for Align, Tune and Positive Rate. So what that means, we'll line up on the runway and we'll verify that the magnetic heading on the various compasses that we have in the cockpit is in fact aligned with what we expect. So if we're lining up on 09 left at Heathrow, then we'd expect to see something like 09 on all of the compasses. If it's saying something else, 120 or 270 or something, then we know something's wrong. The T for tune means that we should tune the ILS localizer for that runway. And if we do that, we should see, if we've lined up on the right runway, that the ILS localizer needle on our instruments will be exactly centered. If it's somewhere else, then again, we know possibly we've got a problem. And the other one, the P, stands for positive rate. And that means we, that once we have, in fact, taken off, we need to ensure that we have a positive rate before the gear comes up by confirming it with a positive rate of climb on at least two altimeters. So now we're lined up. We're pretty sure we've got the right runway, but we need to make sure that we've got a 90-meter visual segment in front of us. And how do we do that? How could we judge 90 meters? Well, you remember that the runway itself has to have high-intensity centerline lights spaced at 15 meters. So if we can count six lights in front of us on the centerline, six times 15 is 90, then we know we've got at least 90 meters. So we're good to go. So off we go barreling down the runway and take off, hopefully, into the bright blue sky because fog generally is only a, a very shallow layer on the ground. It only takes a few seconds to break through into the glorious sunshine. One thing that we sometimes do is just after we've taken off and we're airborne, we actually just make a very quick call to ATC to let them know that we're airborne. So we'll just click the radio transmit button and say Safe Jets 123 airborne. We don't do it in the UK, but it's quite a common procedure uh, in most of Europe. I quite like it. I don't know why we don't do it here, but just one of those things. And there we go. That's just a basic overview of LVPs and taxiing around in the fog. Obviously, there's a lot more to it. Uh, we could look at uh, emergencies in the fog and aborted takeoffs and landing in fog as well, but that's uh, uh, something for another segment. Until then, you can uh, probably check out the latest episode of Plane Safety Podcast. It's imminently about to be released. It will probably be available by the time you listen to this. 
But otherwise, I'm going to hand it back to those two fantastic fellows in the studio. It's Carlos and Matt. Oh, he's, and he's, hello. He's such a charmer, isn't he? He is such a charmer. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. But thank you very much for that, Pip. Indeed. And yeah. uh, we always appreciate you sending a segment in. He's had a bit of a break for uh, a couple of weeks. Yes. Um, I mean, but, honestly, um, fancy having a family. How rude. I know. <laughs> um, one of the things that Pip said in the chat room while we, while we played his segment was mm. that uh, he forgot to mention the requirement to have a takeoff alternative if visibility is below cat one mm. minima. So there we go. I've added that one in there. Indeed, well done you. <laughs> yes, absolutely. But no, thank you very much uh, for that, Pip. Um, as always, you can find Pip uh, over at the Plain Safety Podcast on iTunes. Yes, Download his latest show on there. And uh, obviously you can, uh, you can catch up with Pip uh, mm. on his website, uh, yes. plainsafetypodcast.com, yeah. and uh, send him, uh, as he gets loads of feedback, he gets more feedback than we do. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, so, I'm, so, I'm so offended. I know. <laughs> so we've got uh, one last little, or, or two, two little segments left to play on the show. And uh, so we've just got some listener feedback. Oh, to play. Yes, sorry. Um, but we've got one interview. We're going to squeeze one interview mm, from yes, the Malta absolutely. International yes, we're Air Show. We're running out of time a bit today. We're yes. running out of time slightly. So uh, for everyone in the chat room and on the show, here is another uh, installment from the Malta International Air Show 2015. Woohoo! The Malta International Air Show 2015 Brought to you by The Plane Talking UK Podcast Okay, so I'm back again then at the Malta International Air Show 2015 and I've been very lucky indeed uh, to uh, be on board the Mer uh, Merlin aircraft, a helicopter. And I'm here with Greg. And uh, Greg, uh, what's uh, what's your position in, in the uh, Royal Air Royal Navy, I should say? Hi, Carl. How are you doing? Um, yes. So I'm um, a lieutenant in the Fleet Air Arm, which is the flying branch uh, of the Royal Navy. Um, as you say, we've brought the Merlin here today to the Malta Air Show uh, just to show off the um, what the mighty beast is in Merlin. Um, we bought the Mark II today, obviously it's just replaced the Mark I, uh, so essentially it's the same airframe that we've got, um, but it's all it's all upgraded, it's all got different and new mission, mission kit, um, and just provides um, the main anti-submarine capability that the Royal Navy um, provides to the world. So It's an amazing bit of kit, as you can see, it's, uh, it's quite sizable. Sat in the back here, you can see uh, the roll fit we've got at the moment, I, I think it's... It's kitted out to carry essentially nine troops in the back at the moment, but everything you see can be taken out uh, and fitted accordingly depending on what you want for a mission. So, I mean, you see nine seats at the moment, but we could have 16 seats in the back if you want to go and pick up loads of troops from a from a confined area, or we can take all the seats out and we can put our, our main our main party bit of kit, which is the, the submersible unit, the sonar bit of kit, which, um, I mean, it's quite heavy, so that's where we have to forego some of the troop-carrying capability and put that bit of kit in. Uh, and what we essentially do is we go and fly over the sea. We, we sit in, in a hover about, about 100 feet over the sea, and we dip our, our sonar into the water, um, much like the hunt for Red October, really. Then we send out our pings and search for some uh, sneaky, beaky submarines and other as well. So it's that's our main role. Um, but don't let that don't let that fool you. We're also a, a multi multi platform or a multi role helicopter as well. So uh, we can also be tasked for search and rescue. You see the winch on the side of the aircraft as well. And that's that's something we can do as well. Um, we can be used for surface search. As I say, we can be used for assault capabilities as well, so troop carrying. Uh, a lot of the windows and the main door opens and we can fit guns as well, so if you need some sort of a, 
um, standoff capability uh, with troops going in. We can we can have the the weapons outside of the aircraft providing that sort of uh, support for the troops on the ground as well. So it's uh, it's certainly a, a beast which can provide many many a different uh, capability to the navy. So it's a it's a good bit of kit. Right. So what's the Merlin like to fly? Uh, well, as you can see outside, it looks ginormous. It's I mean it, it's. At its heaviest, it's just just over 14 and a half tons. But I mean, don't let that fool you. When when you sit in the seat and you, you lift into the hover, it feels everything, anything but heavy. It's, it's the lightest thing in, in in the world. And I mean, it's, it's so advanced now that you just lift into the hover and you don't even realise you're you're flying. Really, I mean, there's some amazing um, stability bits of kit in the aircraft. Uh, it has some fantastic autopilot holds as well. So it is literally the forefront of technology at the moment. It is fantastic, and it it doesn't feel it doesn't feel the heavy beast it looks. So it's it's a breath of fresh air, really, especially when you comp- you compare it to some of the the older helicopters out there, which I mean, you can feel every every single vibration that that it, it has to give you. And in this aircraft, you just don't get that. You don't get that kind of feedback. So it's it's it's, it's a beautiful bit of kit to fly. It's really nice. Now, we, we were at uh, the Riyadh, the Royal International Air Tattoo, early this year in the UK, and um, that we managed to get uh, sitting on the uh, flight deck on the Sea King. And I've got to say that was kind of like um, uh, coal and steam gauges at the front of the yeah. air. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I think as you can see, I mean, I'll take you up the front in a minute and show you. But the analog days of dials in the Merlin is gone now. You'll see up, up the front, it's all glass cockpit concept now. So all the screens we have are a touch screen. Um, we, we fly as a crew of four, and the two guys who sit down the back, the uh, the observer and the air crewman, they can see in the back the screens we have in the front so I mean we, you can copy uh, essentially copy and paste the screens that we have in the front into the back and vice versa um, we are all fitted to fly with a WES cam on the side as well so it's an infrared camera um, and very soon the Mark II will be able to show that I mean, at the moment that picture is shown in the back of the aircraft to the observer and the air crewman but very soon that picture will be able to be put onto the screens in the front so essentially it will be like having a television in, in the front of the aircraft for the whole crew, the whole crew to see so it's it's a fantastically smart uh, aircraft, and yeah, it has so many different displays and dials. It's just gone gone on the days of steam-driven uh, dials, I think, with the Merlin. So oh, that's cool. So, a bit about your career then. How did things start for you then? Was it uh, an early kind of? I mean, for me, it was an early child. I was fascinated by aviation, and, and, and that's why I'm learning to fly and I do the podcast. But for you, was it an early? Uh, I'm one of the different ones. So, I mean, you meet many people who wanted to fly um, from you know early childhood and I actually wasn't one of those I wasn't an aviation enthusiast when I grew up um, I was I was into sports and studying all sorts but not aviation funnily enough um, but I joined the I joined the Navy in when was I I was 23 I think uh, and obviously I got streamed uh, as, as air crew at that time um, you do 10, 10 months to a year through the officer training uh, at Dartmouth and then you go into your normal aviation career which for me lasted sorry training which lasted five years for me so you start on what then was the the firefly which has now been replaced by the grob the grob tutor um and they and they train us at barks and heath up in lincolnshire and that's a that's a try try service training environment so they put the ref the army uh, and the navy all together uh, in what is essentially and i i, I describe this fondly as a as a giant crash for pilots it's uh, it's all very well managed it's all very well controlled they won't let you go out of your sight unless it's unless it's perfect you know blue weather conditions so it's uh, and that's probably some of the funnest times you have in the navy going through that that sort of training process it's it's great fun uh, and then after that training i think you do 60 hours on the on the grob now uh, and then you get you get streamed either fixed wing or rotary wing um, so for me i was fortunate enough to come rotary wing and they send you off to um, 
the Defence Helicopter Training School in Shawbury, and that's when you'll get your first taste of uh, of a rotary wing. So for us, it was the, the Squirrel, the, uh, the Eurocopter. So that's a, a nice, light, single-engine uh, helicopter, which is absolutely fantastic to train on. Uh, and we do 100 hours flying training there. Uh, if you don't go rotary wing, then you can obviously you go for, you go down the, the jet, uh, the fixed wing uh, route, and you go off to uh, to RAF Linton up in Yorkshire, and you, you fly into Tucano, uh, and then from there you go on to the the T2 Hawk at Valley, and then the, I mean the, the plan right now because we we have a or we have had in the last couple of years obviously a gap in our fixed wing capability, but then guys will now be going on to the F35, which will be the main uh, the main bit of kit of choice, which will be operating with the Harriers. Um, yeah, so for me, after Shawbury, then you get streamed to your your rotary aircraft uh, specifically. So obviously, I went down the Merlin route. Um, when I went through, uh, the options were either Merlin, uh, Lynx, or the Jungly Seeking. Um, obviously, now the, the, the Jungly has turned the Jungly Seeking has turned into the Mark III and what will be the Mark IV Merlin. Uh, so that's that's a choice to some to some of the trainees that are going through at the moment. Uh, and also the Wildcat, so there is still the Mark 8 links at the moment, but that's being replaced by, by the Wildcat, which is actually displaying at the, here, so you, I mean, you might see that later today, and they were, they were displaying yesterday, and were very good. Um, so yeah, the, the numbers of aircraft in terms of different variants we've got, Rotary Wing has shrunk, but their capabilities are such that they, they more than make up for the fact that the numbers have shrunk, so yeah, we've got some really good bits of kit available today. So have you had a chance to fly any other Rotary Wing um, helicopters at all? I actually haven't. Apart from the squirrel and through my flying training, I've been purely uh, squirrel and then straight on to Merlin. So okay, I've, cool. Yeah, I've been re- I've been relatively uh, direct in what I've flown. I've not had the opportunity yet, but hopefully in the future I will do. Cool. So one of the questions we always ask when we're um, interviewing uh, the, the rotor ring um, pilots and stuff: Had you had a choice to fly any uh, fixed wing aircraft at all, at all in the world, any fixed wing aircraft? What would your choice aircraft be? Well, I'm a bit of a nostalgist, so I'm, I'm still heartbroken that the Harriers ha- has gone. Um, and obviously, I shouldn't say this because I'm a rotoring pilot, but that would have been an absolutely fantastic aircraft to fly. I mean, the fact that we that we uh, we mothballed the Harrier is still still you know brings a tear to my eye, and it's just such a shame uh, given its the capability it had. So if I if I had my if I had my time again or my chance again, I'd certainly try and you know ease myself into a Harrier cockpit because that's just. That's just, that just encapsulates aviation for me, just fantastic. The noise, the, just the pure anger that it provides is just, I think that's every pilot's dream. So, yeah, I'd, cer- I'd certainly get in, in a Harry cockpit if I could. Oh, okay, we had them at Farnborough last year, didn't we? We had the Spanish um, Harrys at Farnborough right, last year. Yeah. Uh, that was yeah, so awesome to see them flying again and hear them as well because of the, the noise they make. It's fantastic. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't fortunate enough to be at Farnborough, but, yeah, there's, there's, it's something so distinctive about the Harry noise that you just can't, you just can't, Help, but stopping your tracks and, and look up and think, well, that's just an, that's just an awesomely powerful bit of you know, bit of aviation capability, which sadly is gone now for us. But let's hope the F thirty five provides the uh, provides the next generation that we need. Yeah, for sure. When we get to see it, that is, we've kind of missed out the air shows because it's not been yeah, in there. But. Yeah, it's a shame, isn't it? But I'm sure I'm sure that will uh, I'm sure that will show the taxpayers that their money's been well spent. So, so Greg, so finally, what's the future hold for you? What what are your plans for the future then? Uh, so my, I've been frontline for four years now, and I've probably got another year of frontline flying um, to to give to the navy, and then I will hopefully be taking up an instructional role. Um, my my want is to go back to back to my roots, really go back to Barks and Heath, and what will be Cranwell in the future, and provide some 
tuition and training for the guys that are now coming through as trainees. So that's my ultimate ambition or short-term ambition. I want to go and instruct the guys and give the guys the training that I've so fantastically received and I went through. So that's what I want to do. That's that's my that's my that's my goal. Great. Well, Greg, thanks for giving up your time today for the Plain Talking UK podcast. It's been great to speak to you. And uh, thanks for giving us all the info. I'm sure the listeners are going to love, uh, love listening to this back. And uh, hope you enjoy the rest of the Malta International Air Show 2015. And, uh, yeah, all the best for the future. Yeah, pleasure, Carl. Thanks for your time. Thank you. <laughs> Somebody called you Carl. I know. That's very I exciting. <laughs> and I had, I had my, my PTUK t-shirt on as well. Obviously, But, yes. uh, no, that was... Uh, that was absolutely fantastic there from mm. uh, from Greg there, mm. and uh, that, Lo- lots of lots of chat in the chat room about the Merlin actually wasn't there? Yeah, yeah, we had loads of chat in the, uh, about yeah. the uh, Merlin, but I was sweating like an absolute hock in that uh, really? helicopter. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was uh, so hot at the air show, and, and he, he well, he let me interview him inside the helicopter inside the Merlin. You should be but, very uh, honoured, not complaining about. I know, how I know. <laughs> it was quite good. Loads of room, I yeah, have to say. Absolutely, loads of room. yeah, definitely. So we have got uh, a little bit of list of feedback and yeah. to play. Cool. And yep. uh, it is obviously from um, the legend that is Matty Fab, <laughs> uh, who oh, is yeah. in the chat room, actually. Is he? Oh, excellent. Oh, so, that would be embarrassing for him. Brace yourself then. <laughs> so we are going to play that feedback right now. Okay. The listener feedback segment. Good evening, Carlos and Matt and the fellow PTUK listeners. It's Matty Fab here. Just wanted to make a couple of quick points, and I'll start off with an apology, especially to you, Carlos. I heard the podcast last week where you were shocked that I wasn't there in the chat room with you guys, but I've got an excuse, which I hopefully, I'm hopeful you'll accept. I was up flying the 150. I took my first passenger up there, which happened to be the father-in-law. Unfortunately, we didn't get very far due to the fog and low vis we've been having here in the UK, but... Nonetheless, we did a few circuits around the airfield. He really enjoyed it. We landed safely, so that's a good flight for me. I'm happy with that. Secondly, I'm recording this at quarter past four on today, Friday afternoon, and I've just seen the breaking news that the French authorities have confirmed through the data in the black box of the Metrojet A321 that it was, or it appears it was, brought down by a bomb, as we all suspected. So... Not good news, but at least we've had some sort of confirmation on that. And like I say, it is breaking news at the minute as I'm recording this, so I'm sure you guys will have some more information on that when you record the show tonight. Um, moving on to something a bit more light-hearted. As we know, we've seen the Vulcan have its last flights last week up at Doncaster Airport. Such a shame, but hey, you know, what can we do about that? Which plane, you guys, Carlos and Matt, and the PTUK listeners, would you like to see restored back to flying condition next? Personally, you know, we spoke about it before, Carlos, Concorde, would love to see that up, um, doing a couple of air shows, or even the, the Lightning, a good old famous plane that we had flying not too long ago. Hey, that's all the question over to you guys. Great show, keep up the work, and I will speak soon. Take care, bye-bye. Hmm, yeah, I, I, I'm with him, actually. I, I'm, I'm, I want, I, I'd love to see the, um, to see the old... Uh, um, the, the Concorde. Um, I saw one at Duxford because they've got one at Duxford, haven't they? They have, yeah. And uh, yeah. I had a walk around it uh, myself and Lee, one of my work colleagues. We had a wander around it today, <laughs> uh, not yes, uh, a couple of days ago. And uh, yeah, I, I'd have loved to have actually been in the thing when it was up in the air, to be honest. Well, actually, someone's uh, parents have uh, have actually flown in Concorde, and that is my wife, who is, oh, rus- is rustling behind us. Good, e- <laughs> good evening, wife. <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> 
<laughs> no, but, good evening, wife. I know. Yeah. Je- Gemma's mum and dad have actually flown in Concord. Oh wow! Yeah, really? Yeah, they, yeah, they have. Yeah, I know. You you haven't? Yeah, they have twice. Her parents have flown in Concord <laughs> twice. Yeah. So uh, wow. yeah, no, so, I'd, 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 so, so come on then. I'll throw that over to you. What 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 is the the aircraft oh, that you would most like? Can to we have? just say hello to uh, to Neil Braden? Certainly. Yes. He's just finished. Uh, uh, just finished. Sorry. Just joined us. Sorry. Indeed. Um, yeah. The uh, podcast in the chat room. So, so it, t- Tony's, Tony's saying that the lightning would be cool. I presume that that's for having it uh, re- restored. Um, what about what about you? What what would be your ultimate um, um, aircraft? Do you know what? If I had to have one aircraft, yeah. it wouldn't so much need much restoring. Right. But it's one aircraft that I really, really would love to see flying oh, again. It's not something to do with... Um, the TriStar by yeah. chances I might have known you were going to say that re- I don't even know why I asked you I, I should have known the answer to that really they, re- they obviously retired the Royal Air Force TriStars mm. early this year mm. and I think you know there are still some sitting at Bruntingthorpe yeah. um, not doing anything right. and just to have one of those as a, just, just as as a, a yeah. you know a, a, a something to go at the air shows each yeah. year for people yeah. to, especially yeah. the refueling ones yeah yeah. Um, I see. I, 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 the, the general consensus here on the old uh, chat appears to be uh, Concord and Lightning. Uh, Matty Fab's just thrown in the Victor uh, as well. Uh, Masher has put in the SR seventy one for her. Um, him even? Him. No. Yeah. Sorry, I've done that again. I'm so sorry. <laughs> uh, yes, obviously the TriStar for, and the, yes. oh, oh, you, oh, the L ten eleven. Yeah. Yes, the yeah, TriStar. That would, that the would be 11, yours. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So it's uh, yeah, yeah. Fascinating. God, it's going absolutely. Nuts. It's gone mental in the, in the yeah, chat room. Yeah, absolutely. They're talking to each other, Carl. This is very exciting. I know. Tony yeah. Tony S has put TriStars are still flying. Like, there is one I think still flying. Is there? And it's the Orbital Science one. Right. I think is still okay. flying. I and think. and the the example of Concord that they've got there is is a sort of like a military one isn't it actually at, at Duxford no it's a, it's a prototype no 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 but, the, 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 uh, but there's there's loads of military type sort of like test thingies and stuff that they were using for because they used it to test um, ice uh, warning systems and all oh, that, that sort that, of thing that is, yeah. I think that was I think that was 002 at, at Duxford right. prototype okay yeah I think that's one there but oh. they, they it was a test it had all the test beds and stuff on Mm. Um, as uh, Glenn Towler, a company in the US, still flies a couple of L tens. Well, ah. send, send me send me the link to who they are. Right, okay. Give me some reading for this oh, evening. Okay. Um, so obviously, we've had we've had uh, Mark Harvey's joined us mm. in the uh, chat room. He's put the Buccaneer. Um, the air that'd be a great okay. one to see the Buccaneer. Yeah, yeah. one of the good British aircraft. That one. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. So yeah, great great uh, feedback, Matty. Neil says uh, the space shuttle. <laughs> <laughs> Might be a bit of a job to get that one yeah, going I, again. I, I, I fear so. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> oh dear, I know. I'm being. I'm re- Masha. I'm really sorry. I'm being severely told off. Quite rightly yeah. in the chat room. I am very sorry. I'm going to. Uh, in fact, look here. We no. here we go. I'm going to be told off officially. Please. No, no, no you're, never mind. Yes, that's it. Naughty Thank boy. you. I'm very sorry. Uh, just, Masha, just, I'm so sorry. Just explain to him, Masha. Just, just write to him in the chat room or no, something. No, no, don't, don't do that. <laughs> I get enough abuse as it is. I know. <laughs> we're, we're just mad. Mm, we're indeed. We're a couple of crazy guys. Anyway, on that, on that very, very distressing yes, note, I'm we sorry, We need to Masha, bring the show again. to a close. Indeed, yes. 
So, um, don't so know when we're recording yet, um, but obviously uh, it'll go out on Sunday as per usual. So, most of you yeah. are probably listening to this uh, on Sunday or thereafter, whenever yeah. your device downloads said podcast. But um, don't forget, if you're downloading the show via iTunes, please yes. just give us a rating on iTunes because yeah, that absolutely. really does. Um, people, a lot of people don't realise what it does, but when you cl- uh, click on the little rating tab mm. uh, on iTunes when you download the show, that uh, like kind of pushes us up the uh, search thing in, on iTunes so when yeah. people are searching for for aviation podcasts you know we sort of you, you appear higher in the list, yeah, in the list yeah. which would be awesome Definitely. so if you could do that that would be awesome Indeed. and um, so where can available I mean they should know where they can yeah, find absolutely, us yes, but, absolutely. but where, okay. can, where can the listeners go to find those, us those that are watching now will obviously know already but you can actually catch our shows now in visual form and that is on YouTube obviously just search in YouTube either on your phone or, or on your browser or whatever on the YouTube app for Plain Talking UK this obviously is episode number 85 you can contact you can contact us directly uh, by going to the show website that is www.plaintalkinguk.com um, uh, it is uh, facebook.com forward slash plain talking uk and our twitter handle is at plain talking uk don't forget also please get in touch with us by our, our, our now newly improved email uh, which is working beautifully and that is <laughs> podcast at plain talking uk.com yes that definitely does work yes absolutely and we've got quite a large limit on that one now so we yes. can uh, send us loads can, of yeah, stuff in yeah. Ray please, Davis please thinks, uh, audio feedback yeah. ladies and gents because we love hearing from you directly and I'm sure the other listeners like hearing from you, from you as well so please if, you, if you're if you up for it then, wave uh, goodbye Ray he's now oh, yeah, going bye, bye Ray bye, bye Ray. Ray he's now off there he's got go. a family outing to go to oh, bye bye Ray mm, happy days <laughs> Um, but no, thanks for everyone for joining us yep. in the chat room today. There's there's been a huge amount of people it's in the chat great. room today. Yeah, yeah. Lovely so visit. many to mention. Mm-hmm. Uh, it'll take me about five hours yeah. to. In fact, actually, rather than here. not, uh, we won't risk upsetting anyone. We we, we just uh, to everyone who is in the chat room yeah. who's watching us now. We are Thank really you. grateful. It's it's been really good fun. So that is, as I say, where <laughs> we bring episode number eighty five to, to a, a close. close. Indeed. So uh, from me, Matt here in the lovely uh, uh, kitchen studio. I nearly said the conservatory studio but it's not <laughs> is it it's the kitchen studio it's a, it's a very surprisingly warm and f- from what i understand from mrs stebbings a, a rather warm 18 degrees yes. outside in, in like you know like Muggy. the 6th of november very mm. strange so from yeah so it's very warm here in our part of the world and from you carl and from me it is a the weekend's here <laughs> and yeah. uh, i presume you're djing no I've got a weekend <gasps> off what i have a weekend a luxury Who weekend Who off this Gemma? Know, your standards terrible. are slipping <laughs> got a weekend off i am actually going to i'm actually going to be able to have a drink tomorrow night oh, very exciting. i'm actually going to be able to drink alcohol mm. without having to drive anywhere it's amazing <laughs> that's a, i tell you that's a very exciting experience um, don't forget as well just for the uh, guys and girls listening all from the realms of podcast uh, from well from downloads and for the live chat mm. uh, we have we are going to run a competition on the lead up to christmas um, to win a prize and uh, we're going to come up with some really hard questions that you won't be able to answer oh, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we are going to have a competition and uh, we'll, we'll announce that just uh, just before we break for Christmas okay. um, but we'll uh, we'll Get all the details for that uh, in the coming up soon on indeed episodes. so that is it right thanks for, from me. Thanks for joining us guys and uh, we'll see you all next week for episode number 86 from all of us here in the studio it is goodbye, goodbye.